0: Welcome to the Back in Business, Business and Wellbeing Podcast. I'm the chair of backinbusiness.org.uk, Chris Bond. In this, the fourth wellbeing podcast, I'm going to introduce you to two entrepreneurs who are on the autism spectrum. Around 15% of autistic people are in employment. Others, like Andy and Sarah, are entrepreneurs running their own businesses. Andy Clayton is lead coach with Petracoach Europe. And Sarah Louise ackrell is a social impact entrepreneur and therapist set up Wired differently?
1: Business is going great for me because I'm a startup um, and I think that working in the area of neurodiversity um, is really working for me at the moment because I think people have maybe time to think about um, new stuff into the workplace. Um, I think they have time to consider Um, that we really need to widen out our our notion of what the workplace is. So I'm seeing that in this kind of inclusion and diversity circles, I I think that there's hope that employers are going to become a bit more broad-minded and attract different types of talent. And because I work within neurodiversity, I I do feel like people are really receptive to the ideas at the moment. And I'm trying to ask myself why too, really. What I see is, yes,
2: every week and month that passes, I'm having more conversations with more people about entrepreneurs or autistic people in business. Um, But it's honestly, it's quite hard for me to break down whether that's just because I'm better connected and and sort of better known within that space or that genuinely is an upswelling. I like to believe that it's the latter. Um, There was um, a guy in America, Bill Gross, who's the founder of PIMCO which is very well-known, the largest bond trading company worldwide. And he came out, if you will, uh, just a year or two ago as being um, diagnosed with Asperger's. And it was a really sort of great moment because now we're starting to see prominent, well-known people being willing to step into the limelight and say, yeah, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm autistic and it's no big deal. And there's loads more out there. that, ha-. And so my hope, I, I say anticipation, but truthfully, it's a hope, is that in the next sort of ten years we'll see more of that in the same way that in the sort of seventies and eighties it became okay to say, yeah, you know, I go to alcohol recovery and I'm sober, and you know, it appeared in films and, and celebrities got involved, and so I, I hope that we're reaching a tipping point on on that. Uh, but like I say, it could just be that I'm personally having more data points that are in that direction.
1: I totally agree with Andy and I have my sort of antenna out um, trying to constantly scan the environment and thinking, okay, separate out the fact that I'm diagnosed autistic, separate out the fact that I have a startup business that I hope is going to do well, which might be skewing my vision. um, And also separate out the huge interest in the company from people who are going to put their hands in their pocket and buy the products and services, you know, so... I'm really positive and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a happy person anyway, and I want the best for the neurodiversity movement, but I like Andy, I have to also put that to one side sometimes and look at the actual facts and, and hope that in the next 10 years, this is something of significance and not just me being optimistic.
2: Yeah. I think we're going to frustrate you, aren't we, Chris? With our well-qualified answers as well, autistic people. <laughs> <laughs> well, this yeah, is the data I that I see. Tremendous
0: <laughs> answers. <Apple>. We, <laughs> have, we have <laughs> enough self-awareness to know that <laughs> what we sound <laughs> like. Well, that's what my next question was going to be, actually, because um, I've, I've got a son and a daughter who are autistic, and so I know what to look out for, and therefore. Um, I can identify in the different worlds in which I work, whether or not it be politics or business or regulatory uh, environment, a lot of people who are autistic, but don't recognize it. They don't have the Mm self-awareness. Do you think it's important to have that self-awareness to to really be able to make use
2: of that neurodiversity? So it's more prevalent than people um ascribe it to being and there this i put people like that into several classes there's ones who probably know or suspect strongly but don't want to go there because of the stigma associated with it and then there's others who just don't see it and i was in that category myself until a few years ago i, I went into therapy and it was a therapist that said have you considered an autism diagnosis and i was i was kind of surprised it, it hit me from from their field so there's presumably lots of people like that around, but I think there's also there's a significant number of people who might not have formally gone for a diagnosis or or might have done so, but aren't willing to be public about it. And um, because there's still a lot of stigma associated with autism, usually I I still get that sort of moment from people if if I mention about being autistic, where they do that double take look. They say, "Oh yeah, I'm autistic," and like. Oh. Oh, and they sort of, they sort of look at me again, reframing who I am based on that knowledge. And they start looking for different things. So they'd start looking for things like, well, where's the freaky behavior? Um, <laughs> where's the weird superpower? You know, should I be going to Vegas with this guy? Because a lot of the associations are still, um, uh, you know, Rain Man. It's, it's had a disproportionately powerful impact on the um, reputation of autistic people. The other one these days that I find is a really unhelpful negative reference point, is a lot of TV channels, um, sort of channel four, channel five type TV channels, have these slightly humorous shows where like the undateables and stuff like that, where autistic people are, prepared, uh, are portrayed in a, but they're, they're the butt of the joke uh, oftentimes. And so all of that combines, I think, for people to not be comfortable to in serious professional contexts, politicians, you know, business, uh, legal, professional circles to say, "Yes, I'm this, and I'm, and I'm also autistic."
1: Yeah, I think self awareness is something I describe as as a a sort of insurance policy um, because with the self awareness, you get to um, to all intents and purposes negotiate labels that you might have had for the last decade, so personality disorder, bipolar personally i get generalized anxiety disorder and ocd but these are not seen as secondary so autism gets very mixed up with mental health um and and mental health issues are one thing but um neurodiversity is is another and they do overlap but we have to start understanding that so i think having self-awareness and knowledge really means you can kind of self-advocate effectively in the health system having self-awareness means that you know whether you want to make an informed decision as to whether you go for a diagnosis or not now having worked for five years within the benefit system, I've always encouraged people because I'm actually a therapist by training, um, a therapeutic counselor. So I've done a lot of advocacy as well with people around health. And I've said to them, you know, you need to be aware of of what your issues are because if you fall on hard times, you need something to put on your PIP form. You need to know on what basis you're claiming benefits. The DWP are not gonna willy nilly hand out benefits because you think you might be a bit autistic and you've somehow had burnout or uh, some kind of breakdown. Um, it it really is an insurance policy. A lot of people don't know what autism is. Um, They don't know what neurodiversity is because that comes from the social model. Um, And so you have to make sure you know what it is and and how it affects you, because the first thing an employer wants to know is, well, what does this mean? Um, I've often gone to job interviews and worked in companies and said, well, I'm autistic. And you can see that people instantly think, you know, and and I've had it said, oh, you must be high functioning. I've had that look that Andy just described, you know, because in the old days, you'd say high functioning or low functioning or whatever. um, Or you must hide it well, or you probably don't suffer that much, right? And actually, it affects every single thing I do. But it's really hard to translate that self awareness. I know myself really well. um, But even friends and family sometimes find it hard to imagine how you struggle with day-to-day stuff because they see you kind of in inverted commas, high performing, you have a business or you did quite well at work. Um, and so it's it's not just the self-awareness, but it's articulating things to people. Um, and often it's your loved ones that understand the least in a way because they think they know you, they think they know every part of you and actually you will have left home at, I mean, I left home at 16, the vast majority of my life has been outside the home. I'm close to my family but they've seen me for years and years and years without this diagnosis so then they will wonder well what does that mean and a lot of people who end up with an autism or or other neurodiversity um, diagnosis um, end up struggling because they then develop this self-awareness but then they can't communicate that to the people around them and when it comes to access to work grants communicating and brokering your employment with your employer Um, It's key. I think self-awareness is absolutely critical, to be honest, but so hard to get to that point if you are denied a diagnosis, which is quite often the case.
0: Isn't it also the case that societal awareness is what is now really lacking? That, as you said, Sarah, there's so little understanding of what it means to be autistic, and many employers fear that this is um, a disability, Although we've seen the big tech companies um, now in Silicon Valley elsewhere, specifically targeting autistic Mm. people because they know that they're going to make a a particular contribution. Um, But we've only got one in six autistic people in the UK in jobs. And I know you've taken that journey. Um, You were in employment. You've now Mm. decided to set up as self-employed, as an entrepreneur. And I wonder if both of you um, have moved into self-employment for that reason.
1: I definitely went into it with that as a major contributor. In fact, I was quite nervous because I decided to leave my job um, only in Org- uh, sorry, only in July and set up on August the 1st. Um, and through lockdown, it's not something I actively considered, but it just became obvious to me as I started to think about going back to the office that this was not healthy for me um to all intents and purposes my previous company had all mod cons they're beautiful offices but that's not the point when you're autistic and you often don't realize this stuff until you've been in a variety of workplaces and you've kind of whittled it down to your needs but one of my personal things is i need privacy and a lot of offices nowadays are open plan um i'm actually designing what i think is the country's first neurodiversity friendly call center down in berkshire at the moment and um I've been told by suppliers to the call centre that they think it might be the first in the world and that they don't understand either why privacy has been denied people in the workplace. And I mean, there's the lighting, there's the there's the noise, there's the fact you can't control so many things in the workplace, there's other factors, but I think for me, it boils down to, I needed my privacy.
2: I've heard that sort of 16% number mentioned a lot around the number of autistic people in work. And my, my own view is that I think it misses the mark, not because it isn't true or isn't um, that it's not accurate, but there's an implication there that therefore autistic people should be helped to get jobs. That's usually where that leads, and most of the support on offer, what I observe is is about what's called employability, and it is to do with you know the lighting and the partitions and how to work with autistic people on the team. Now I. I get the fact that you know most people in the world have jobs and therefore if you want to solve the employable employment issue for autistic people then I'm sure jobs needs to be part of the mix but I don't know all I can speak to is my personal experience Chris you know which is that I've worked jobs I didn't fit in I got into constant conflicts with people I hated not being in control I just didn't like um, and that that Spread to all sorts of things the the strategy, the direction, the culture, the people, the environment, the the values, the working of the hierarchy, all these things outside of my control. And so I would constantly try and exert my control in ways that led to conflict. And so I took the obvious step for someone like me and I set up my own company. And that's not easy either, right? As an autistic person, it involves all sorts of ambiguities and requirements to kind of promote and market and network that is also not easy, but it's a trade-off that's worked for me. And so the conclusion I draw when I, I've i sat in quite a lot of autistic events and I hear people discussing employability, I said, I think, well, this just misses the mark. You know, what's the point in helping, trying to help people? Cause I, you know, I'll, I'll naturally project. That's what I do. Right? I assume other autistic people must be like me. And, and there's maybe some truth in that. And there's, there's probably a lot of, uh, Falsity in that too. But the um it's like if you really want to help autistic people, help them set up companies, help them be self-employed, help them to figure out a way to, to sell what they do in a way so that they can maintain control over their environments. That to me just seems like the obvious answer. And and I think, and again, I'm I'm probably totally wrong in this, but <laughs> I I I really do believe that the reason that most of the support that's offered to autistic people is around employability. It's because most of the people offering the support, all they know about is having jobs. That's what they do. They work in charities and they work in, you know, these kind of well-meaning organizations and they know about interviews and workplace and stuff like that. And so with the best of intentions, those, that's the advice that they give. And I, I see it as being largely misplaced. Um, But, you know, as an outlier within outliers, I, I, (laughs) I also realize that probably that's not helpful. I don't know.
1: I think actually you could do a lot with that, what Andy has just said. I mean, I'm on an accelerator in Brussels. Um, my company's being kind of incubated and, and accelerated by starter at KBC. And I've been told that 70% of entrepreneurs have ADHD. So if so many entrepreneurs are neurodivergent, then technically we need a lot more mentoring from entrepreneur to entrepreneur. Um, and I think that's what also why the APPG for inclusive entrepreneurship has been set up so that people can see that on inclusive entrepreneur you know inclusive entrepreneurs exist and that it's possible and it's desirable and as Andy says it's very viable and important route to look at not only employability but you can also argue that the employability doesn't go far enough what worries me a little bit is that I'm really fortunate and through lockdown, I've, I've quit a perfectly good job in a nice company and nice colleagues to, to be self-employed. And I've had support from people like the DWP and I've found clients very quickly. I've been really lucky, but I'm based on a laptop. What would I do if I was working in a warehouse and I was a, a warehouse person or uh, in a call centre? Or, you know, what would I do if I was on a production line? Um, I'm really lucky because I, I'm doing something that's very free and I'm on a laptop, but you know, I think it's, I don't wanna be crass and say, oh, the lockdown has been a great opportunity because having come from five years in the benefit system when I've coached and, and supported people who've been in really bad situations, I don't think people look enough at, at people who are literally in kind of shoulder to shoulder manual jobs, you know, and, and, and one, in, one in seven of us are neurodivergent and that crosses all types of work.
2: I like the saying, you know, that you've, when you've met one autistic person, you've, you've met one autistic person. And it's this very difficult, hard to pin down thing of what are these few traits that autistic people do have in common. Because even as an autistic person, it's very easy to sit amongst a group of autistic people and feel that you don't fit in, you know. I don't yes. know if you've had that experience, Sarah. But...
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you think to yourself, oh my goodness, I don't fit anywhere now. This is, this right. is my last chance.
2: <laughs> um, so having said that, I, I, I do think there are certain traits. And by definition, you know, this is a group of people that, that, that sort of struggle to fit in. And so they will gravitate towards careers and professions which are going to be more isolated. And again, like, like Sarah says, it, it's, it's easy to sort of project white-collar um, fortune on, on people that might not have that set of, of, of abilities. But nonetheless, you know, e- even if you're... Um, yeah, whatever, wherever you are in in the within different vocations, um, typically my, my what I see is that autistic people tend to, I say, migrate to roles which are more sort of independent, individualistic, lone wolf type things. And so, in that situation, the help that's needed isn't how to fit into other people's organisations. It's how do you market yourself. More. So, for example, I, I have a good friend of mine. Uh, and he really struggles because he's an independent IT contractor and he's worked in companies and he's like, I can't go back to that. You know, there's this whole IR 35 thing happening at the moment, right? So can't he's, what he's doing at the moment as an independent contractor is, is that threat. He's like, I can't, just can't go back to working in companies. And so the help that he needs actually is, well, how do you market yourself and create a little brand for yourself so that you can get yourself out there as, as, as a company because alternative which is working in within someone else's business is just so difficult and so unpalatable that I I think a lot of people are trying to solve the wrong problem at the moment Mm.
1: I think where autistic people and neurodivergent people can really contribute to the workplace as a concept is I think that we're, we're really good logical thinkers a lot of the time and we tend to look at things in a different way which is kind of hard to quantify but I think we can contribute in redefining the workplace so that we can then fit in um, because I mean I don't want to think of myself as I'm self-employed because I can't be employed. And I definitely did my damnedest to fit in, and I think it kind of worked, but it was very surface level. What my colleagues and bosses didn't see was I was coming home at six. I was sleeping for two, three hours just to reset myself, and then I was taking the dog for a walk and having a ready meal, and I was in bed, and then you'd be awake at 3 a.m. because you'd set for three hours, and you know, your whole body clocks out and I want to feel that I'm contributing to making the workplace a better place um, as a future employer and also just, you know, in terms of following the right people on social media and, and reading the right research I'm working with um, the research centre at the Heriot-Watt University um, on a couple of projects, including Kimmel Foundation, which is a, a CIC I've become director of down in Berkshire. and. It, the the discussion on the workplace and redefining it for neurodivergent people is key, but it will also improve things for neurotypical people. It's not about saying we're in this exclusive club, we're going to make loads of demands. It's about changing the whole for everybody and, and, and the people who will benefit from that, you know, are not just the, the staff, but the the bosses, the people looking at the purse strings. Um I think that work doesn't have to be stressful. It doesn't need to lead to burnout. It doesn't have to be that you constantly have a furrowed brow and look terribly worried all the time. You can enjoy your work, you can work long hours, but you don't have to. And I think there's become a lot of internalized stuff that the workplace has come to represent. That COVID and lockdown and and being able to work at home has had to kick out of the workplace as, as being an old fashioned concept. Um, you can work hard and not make yourself ill and then there's also the autistic whole thing around burnout we are quite prone to burnout for all kinds of reasons um, and so I think it's really important that neurodivergent people are part of the conversation as to what is the workplace going forward because making yourself ill to look good and get promoted and that type of thinking is is just so old-fashioned now.
0: Um, listening to, to to both of you, um, you you are inspiring in the sense that you know, you, you clearly um, as you've just said, Sarah, are enjoying what you're doing. You're getting a kick out of it. You feel that as well as um using your time usefully, you're 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 putting it to a social purpose or a public purpose. And certainly I'm gonna get both of my kids to um listen to this podcast when it's when it goes out, um, as an inspiration. How how do you feel about being a role model, each of you? I mean, do you do, is that how you perceive yourself? Are you are you specifically seeking to do that as well as to do what you're doing as the day jobs, if you like?
2: So I would answer that unambiguously, yes. And the reason is partly because I enjoy the spotlight, and you know, there's a part of my ego that wants to feel that I'm I'm important. But more, it's there's um, I think th- there is different movements reach tipping points at different times, and it's usually, it's not down to the rights and the wrongs of it. It's just some strange alchemy of of timing that usually involves some form of public figures. So um, Prince Harry, I think, is a great example. I don't think that people would be nearly as upfront about mental health issues at the moment um, if Prince Harry hadn't, in this country anyway, sort of stepped in and said that this is a really important issue. I identify with this. And as a country, we need to get, get behind this. And it's usually those, I mean, what, what, you know, there's this one young man who's got no real insights into that more than anyone else. He just happens to be in a position of, of public influence. So role models really, really matter. It's like disproportionate to the insight that they bring. And um, I think when it comes to autism, there is an enormous gap right now of people saying a couple of things first is it's okay to come out and regardless of what professional sphere you're in to say I'm a lawyer and I'm autistic or I'm a judge and I'm autistic or whatever it is I'm a journalist and autistic and it's it's not the first thing I you know I don't uh, market myself as such but if it's relevant and if it comes up then yeah and it's okay there's no weight behind that there's no encumbrance the second thing I would I think there's a role model is required for is to say if you're an autistic person and you have ambition um, and you want to achieve and make a difference in the world you have two choices one of those choices you're probably familiar with which is that you can figure out how to fit into other people's workplaces and, and deal with all the consequences of that and then yeah accept the support of people who can teach you how to do that but there is also an alternative which is that you can set up on your own you can run your own organization your own business there is a trade-off to be made. You're going to have to deal with other things which are uncomfortable. You have to market yourself. You're going to have to network. You have to promote. You have to deal with uh, all, all the difficulty, the ambi- ambiguity and the risk and uncertainty that goes with that. But it may be a trade-off that works out. And I think a lot of young people don't realize that they have that choice. And so there's, I, I'm, I have realized that there is a gap there and willingly or unwillingly, I actually come, I step into it quite willingly. I, I often find myself standing up and saying, yeah, so firstly... I'm a successful entrepreneur and I happen to be autistic and it's no big deal. And secondly, if you're autistic, um, you can make a difference either by fitting with other people's organizations or you can set up your own company too. Uh, just as an example, a little um, case study for you. There's a guy in um, Arizona called um, Mark Cottle or Mike Cottle. And he has a business called the Stuttering King Bakery. He's, we well, are yeah, talks about funk level of functionality he's he's quite sort of i think relatively low functioning autistic and uh he his best job that he previously had was stacking shelves in a supermarket but he's always been fascinated by baking and he always wants to be a baker and and the the line manager there never let him work on the baking (laughs) area of the the supermarket so in the end he left and he he actually did it with his mum he set up a, a, a bakery called the stuttering king bakery and you can see it and he indulges his passion in baking and his mum actually runs the business side of things, so the accounting and the marketing. And he markets it as, or they market it as kind of partly uh, almost a social enterprise. That I think they're quite open about him being autistic. And because yeah, I, I like to give examples of, of people setting up businesses across the range. So you've got, like I say, Bill Gross at one end, super high functioning, clearly, right? Billionaire, multi-billionaire. And then you've got some people... Like, um, like Sarah, who they actually market themselves with their autism as being part of their skill set independently, and then you also have guys like people like Mark, who the fact that they're autistic is it's kind of part of the appeal, and and so in his case, there's I think it's sort of how fascinated and careful he is about the baking but i've seen other ones where it's about there's a connection for example i think there's a horse whispering lady right so he's got a connection with the animals partly because of the non-neurotypic and you can spin that in a way so that people um see and appreciate that it's because that person is special that they have a particular skill to to doing that role but like you say typically they need help on the business side of things so how do you market it how do you go out and sell it and, and run the the administrative functions of it so that's one in in his case he did it with his mum
1: They also need help. I say we also need help on the, you know, the advertising of the role. It starts really, I think, when you put people in place that know about neurodiversity, then how you advertise the role, how you recruit for that role, how you onboard that person. I heard a story recently that brought tears to my eyes where somebody had been to an interview at a university. So I kind of think that's a bit unforgivable that it was so bad. And they were told that, you know, it was one of these team building things and it's kind of like auditions nowadays. You get everyone turns up at once and you're expected to interact. And they were told, you know, pick a utensil or an item. And and I think this this lady picked a knife and then they asked her about her role in, in in the role play. And she sort of said, I'm terribly sorry, but is it a butter knife? Is it a dagger? Is it you know, what type of knife is it? Because. I'm really worried you know if I use my butter knife it might not it might not do the right thing or if I use the dagger it might be too sharp and too painful and she was told in front of everybody she was overthinking she was being obstructive and she was absolutely mortified and I can see why that really looks like you're splitting hairs and it would kind of get people's backs up but I just think people need to be aware that that was someone being very conscientious and desperately wanting to do the right thing and who probably would have gone on from that experience feeling total shame and frustration And it just brought tears to my eyes because actually I think that's symbolic of a lot of recruitment processes. So you might get a neurodivergent person who can do that job perfectly, but they can't jump through those hoops. And that actually applies across the spectrum of disabilities I've seen. Being a role model is really important to me for lots of different reasons. Um, I think 10% is ego. I think the benefit of being autistic is we're really honest people. Generally, we're known for being quite upfront. Um, And yeah, I do try to keep that in check. I think um, a lot of it is because for, for decades I had mental health problems um, and I was, or I felt like I was seen as maybe the the fragile one or the kind of bright one that didn't really know where she was going in life. Um, maybe, I mean, I think everyone has the the sick one in the family or the one that's not fulfilled the milestones of marriage and children and buying a house and I, I think actually I used this stuff to compensate maybe and, and give myself a status of a grown woman rather than feeling like the sort of adult little girl, which it's a common thing with uh, women with um, autism or as, as would have been a few years ago, Asperger's, uh, uh, um, that we're kind of seen as naive and childlike, um, not being able to read people's agendas, a bit vulnerable, but also really bright. And that's a difficult bridge to, to that's a difficult gap to bridge. So you do have a lot of issues around your kind of womanly identity when you're being seen as at the same time too young and naive and too old for your age, but sort of lacking in the middle part. Um, And I I think that it is important to me to be a role model um, because there are a lot of what I would call lost girls and women out there like me who would, I mean, I'm 42, I was diagnosed at 38, that's very common. There are women diagnosed in their 40s and 50s. There are men too, but it is commonly accepted that it's tricky with women. So there are lots of reasons that for me being a role model is important. And I think role models kind of, they, they blow the roof off your house and, and and make you realize that things are possible and, and that, you know, this is a thing. You can be autistic and have a business. You can be autistic and hold a job down. Um, I often tell people about the time that I was nearly arrested at Victoria Coach Station because I had a meltdown, I've screamed down theatres, I've i I've had full-on meltdowns and they were pretty embarrassing and took me maybe years at a time to get my dignity back. There's a lot of loss of dignity I think attached to a lot of disabilities. Um, we become very patient people because we're always well I personally find I'm always dressing things up to look prettier and nicer than they are because sometimes it's not attractive and people don't want to see you sat in the corner of Victoria coach station screaming and crying and people backing away from you and then realize that nine o'clock tomorrow morning you're on a conference call I mean I want people to know that can be the same person and it's rare that it happens but it does happen I can't not be autistic to be an entrepreneur so I have to be both I want people to know that that person is the same person and it's okay and that's just how it is and we can show each other how to get through those times
0: Well, I I want to thank you, Sarah, for for that insight you've just given me and a a reminder, really, about the way that um, I perhaps uh, 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 treat my own daughter as that, I think your phrase you you used was the adult little girl. We've got to be really careful of that. And to thank, thank both of you for being an inspiration, not only for autistic people, but also for those who want to become entrepreneurs, whether they're autistic or not. And certainly for me, this is this has really been a very inspiring and insightful conversation. Is there anything either of you would like to add?
1: Yeah, I think I just very quickly want to mention um, autistic burnout, because I think it is a big problem. And I think that um, the fear that some of my employers have had in the past is at what point will she self combust and not be here anymore and, and, and not be reliable, maybe being seen as a bit flaky. And I just wanted to explain that autistic people and neurodivergent people, we find it incredibly hard to relax. Um, And basically, that's because we're kind of always switched on to our environment. We take three to five times more information from our environments than neurotypical people. When that environment changes, that's three to five times more new information. It's not familiar information. So we can't just disregard it. We have to scan all of it. So we're quite often overwhelmed. Um, We're quite often in need of turning off our emotional Bluetooth, which is not always possible. Um, I know I'm working with a coach at the moment who's absolutely changed my life in the last couple of months. But I would encourage people to think about what helps them. And there's no there's no thing too small if your weighted blanket or your hot water bottle or some squeezy putty or something as you have in your hands. I know I do have that now. a good chat with a friend, a warm drink, like whatever your little, I mean, that kind of minimizes the, the pain and the complexity of autism. But what I'm saying is just don't be afraid to list down the little things that help you get through the day, because it's incredible um, the difference that those things make to somebody holding down and sustaining a job. And don't be afraid to ask your employees, what does that look like? What does that mean to you? um because everyone is different and we won't get very far if we generalize too much um but you know i've sent emails at all times of day or night and it has been seen as oh god she's a bit in our face she's a bit intense that's how i am so teach me how to turn the emails off teach me how to schedule them for nine o'clock tomorrow morning but you know work with the intensity work with that loyalty that honesty and that creativity and it will pay off in spades
0: that is a, a tremendous note on which to to end because it's sending a message not only to autistic people but it's sending a message to the rest of us who um ought to understand better how to engage <laughs>